Today's Untold, we speak with Mr. Matthew Upchurch, CEO of Virtuoso. Over 50 minutes, Matthew tells the origin story of global luxury travel industry network, Virtuoso. A visionary and an inspiring entrepreneur, Matthew is in multiple travel agent and cruise line halls of fame. He also chairs industry bodies and sits on many influential customer advisory boards. This fascinating origin story includes the formation of Allied, Percival, and the evolution to API, and subsequently the foundation of Virtuoso. Matthew also describes in some detail some milestones, successful strategic decisions, and the occasional bout of serendipity that allowed Virtuoso to grow exp exponentially when faced with the elimination of airline commissions, global events such as 9-11, as well as the doomsayers who predicted the end of travel professionals following the widespread adoption of the internet and the onslaught faced from online travel agencies such as Expedia and Travelocity. Enjoy. It's, it's probably about a decade since we, we first were in touch with one another. I was at Emirates Palace and we were waitlisted for Travel Mart. So Hans Albert, the charismatic GM said, email Matthew, he'll make sure you're, you're able to go to Vegas, but don't just go gambling, you have to bring business back as well. So I, re I reached out to you and uh, it, we were still on the waitlist for a number of weeks and then we were able to attend. And I got to Las Vegas, it was all Bellagio, everything was super. And then about 10 o'clock on the Monday morning after I'd done that first set of appointments from eight o'clock till 10 o'clock, wish we were still on the wait list rather than, <laughs> rather than here, just like another 85 appointments to do on the Monday. But um, you, got, you got off the wait list and, and that was my first introduction to Travel Mart and, and your good self and then saw you on stage in Cannes ILTM. Um, so yeah, but in terms of the, the first question and understanding a bit about the, the history, yeah. your parents had an agency, Upchurch Travel, and also two large players that sort of predated Upchurch Travel was an organization known as Percival and Allied, which had a, an even richer history starting, yeah. I think in the 50s. So is yeah. it possible just to talk a bit about the foundation and, and how you got into travel? Yeah, and, absolutely. And the foundation. Well, I, I was, yes, I was very fortunate to grow up in a travel family. So you're correct. The My, my father uh, actually started his travels as a chief electrical engineer on the U, uh, USS Washington. So he actually was in the Navy during the war. And then, and, that, and actually my mom and dad actually met on a transatlantic, you know, crossing. Yes, um, he was an officer and, and, you know, typical thing, whatever. So, but then after they got married, he got involved in a couple of, you know, he was an, he was an engineer, he was an in insurance, but then they started getting involved in things like uh, 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 yachting in the, in, in the Caribbean, um, you know, some of those things. But then his really big foray is he bought a company and, um, in the mid fifties that was established in 1952 called Percival Tours. Mm -hmm. And Percival Tours was started by a gentleman named Harold Percival. And it was one of the first kind of, you know, uh, more uh, up end luxury escorted uh, tour companies. Um, 
I still remember the address of the London office, 21 Penton Street, right off of Leicester Square. Yes. Um, and, um, and so I grew up, so in that era, I grew up, um, you know, around the, the, the more traditional tour business. Uh, my parents moved to Mexico City in 1960, and I was born a couple of years later. So I was actually born in Mexico City. He also got involved in Mexican tourism by building some of the first timeshares in Acapulco, the first uh, indoor air-conditioned tennis club. Oh wow! Um, and another, an, another, a num and an agency, an agency actually in Mexico City as well called uh, uh, Antonio Perez. So anyway, we did that, but Percival Tours was really his gem. And so grew up there. He was um, the Giraffe Manor in Nairobi was actually the home of Jock Leslie Melville, who was the managing director of Percival Tours Kenya. And actually Percival, my dad really was the pioneer, almost predating Jeffrey Kent, who we know very well, yes. but almost a decade as the number one um, really establishing photographic safaris. So Giraffe Manor, for example, I was there when Daisy Rothschild arrived, right? The first giraffe. And my dad was the chairman of the African Fund for Endangered Wildlife. We have a huge history in Africa. But anyway, he, he, made a, he created a lot of innovations, including being one of the founders of the United States Tour Operators Association, right? Okay. So he was one of the founders of USTOA. Um, and then he, he loved, you know, he expanded into Asia, Latin America, all over the world. And Percival became quite a, you know, a, a major uh, luxury global operator. The business had two, two areas, both the traditional escorted, uh, but then also uh, the provision of being able to help independent agencies with uh, FITs and special group planning. Yes. So we were able to take, you know, so agencies would call us and we would do that. And I think that's, you know, so I got involved in that. And then in the early 80s, that's when we started Up Church Travel. Um, we started Up Church Travel here in Fort Worth. Uh, my grandfather had opened up these buildings downtown and they, they, they couldn't find a travel agency. So we started one. Um, so that's how we ended up because up until then, my father was very, he was very traditional in that if you're a tour operator seeking the business of independent travel agents, you shouldn't be owning a travel agency and competing with them. Right. So anyway, um, but because of the whole situation with Unravel, we got in it. It was primarily corporate, but as we kept growing up church travel and we bought other agencies uh, throughout Texas, Oklahoma, Louisiana, um, you know, we started to buy agencies that had some leisure business. And actually it was the purchase of an agency in, in East Texas called Jackson Travel that introduced us to this organization. We'd heard about it, but really didn't know it, called Allied Travel. And so Jackson Travel was a member of this thing called Allied Travel. And I'm incredibly proud of all the things my father did, but I love to share that. And by the way, now that I've dedicated pretty much my entire adult life to elevating the profession of travel advisor, um, I'm perfectly comfortable saying this because when I was in my twenties, my early twenties, and I was doing travel agency sales, if you had told me when I was 22 years old that I'd spend the rest of my life hanging out with travel agents, I probably would run for the hills. And I don't mean that in any disrespectful way, but the reality was is that the agency business was always kind of 
a double-sided thing, right? You had those those perfectly wonderful people, but they really were clerks, yes. right? They really were, you know, they really were, you know, uh, uh, clerks. They're really process a transaction, but then embedded in there, you had real advisors. And so what ended up happening, and I was very frustrated as a wholesaler selling through agencies because yeah, there were some good ones, but there was a lot of, there was a lot of lack of professionalism, right? Um, and so then we meet, I meet this organization called Allied Travel. And one of the things I don't talk about a lot, I, I, the first time I really went public with this was when Philip Boyan was still at SLH and I did, uh, I did a, a, a keynote speech for the SLH, most of which were hotel owners. And, you know, I live in Fort Worth because my step-grandfather was Charles Tandy. So as in Radio Shack, Tandy Computers and all that kind of stuff. And, and that's what, how we ended up in Fort Worth. That's what got um, my first TV, Tandy in Wales. Yeah. And so what ended up happening was um, Charles died very, very young at 60. Um, and I literally watched how a major company, public company, could be taken over by professional management. And in my mid twenties, I became very disillusioned with court, with big multinational corporations, right? And I was like, this thing is whatever. And so what ended up happening is when I met these allied members, they, what they had done, and I love telling their origin story because you go back to 1949, when this group of mostly European expat agency owners mostly in the Midwestern United States to do FIT travel in 1949 as a little agency was a big deal because uh, renting a telex machine as a small business was a big deal. Renting an IBM word process was a big deal. Trying to make a, you know, making wire payments, uh, wire transfer payments, you know, for a booking to a hotel in Europe was a big deal trying to find people in your community that had the three major skill sets of building a custom bespoke itinerary, itinerary planning, costing, and operations. Good luck finding somebody in Columbus, Ohio, or Cincinnati in 1949 with those skill sets. And even if you did find a person, you were a small little business, you couldn't afford to hire them, right, for the business that you had. So I, have, I, tr I give tremendous credit to this group of, of these agencies, because what they did is they came together and they opened up an office in Midtown Manhattan. They hired a Swiss guy <laughs> to be neutral. Yeah. And then they hired all of these people who were, you know, had worked at the old Wagonli, at the old Thomas Cook. Yes. You know, they had all those skill sets. And then collectively, they were able to share and collectively buy, you know, rent the Telex machines. They were they would pool all of their all of their payments instead of being one wire for three hundred pounds and another wire for for six hundred pounds whatever they would they would literally uh, put all of their payments in one wire transfer and pay the hotel yes right so they did a lot of like really amazing things and really what they what they what that office became is it became the the collectively owned operations and research center 
of these agencies. So it's like a, like a closed group. It's almost like having a closed group insurance group, right? It's going to like, it's like, you know, and so they were able to do that. And they just... Sorry, so the agencies were in the Midwest and then this processing center was in Midtown, New, New York. York. Yeah. Yeah. And then they started expanding out of the Midwest. And it's funny because I, I told this, I've told this story over my lifetime. And I remember this one lady where I told that story and she goes, well, that makes a lot of sense. And I said, well, which part of it? She goes, that whole Midwest part. I said, what do you mean? What do you mean? She goes, yeah, it's like Midwestern values, farmers, co-ops. Right. She goes, I can assure you that way of doing business would have never been born in New York or L.A. where nobody trusts each other. Right? <laughs> nobody collaborates. Right. So yeah. I thought about that. I thought about how that ethos, which I'm really proud of even today, you know, at Virtuoso today, we say, uh, you know, I, I was on the, the, the cover of Luxury Travel Advisor this April. And it was interesting because one of the lines I, 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 I love that. I went back and read the article was takers need not apply. If you want to come join this organization, you have to believe that there's more to be gained by sharing of your wisdom, your knowledge or whatever, than there is by trying to hold, you know, to hold to yourself. Absolutely. And that has been a, that has been such a powerful part of the organization. So anyway, we ended up buying allied. Um, we ended up buying allied and, you know, I was 26 years old um, when we when we bought it, and I wish I could tell you that, you know, I was so smart I knew what the hell I was doing. Uh, the reality is, is when we bought it, we bought it because Percival was involved in the in the in the creation of bespoke itineraries for independent agents and Allied also. And when we looked at our DMC list, we had like a 68% overlap. So obviously, we had same test say uh, similar tastes in who our DMCs were, our ground operators. But then what happened is we buy the organization. I show up to our first meeting now of Allied Percival International. When we, we merged the company, that's where API came from. Yes. And I show up and I see all of these new members, right? Because who used to be the owners of the organization. These new members having all of these not so clandestine in my face meetings with all of our ground operators and openly saying how they're gonna go around us. So <laughs> if, you if you don't call us, we don't make any money. Yeah. And I remember flying home and thinking, I'm the one that convinced our family to buy this business. And the writing's on the wall. Yeah. Because the fax machine was just coming along, you know, people were changing, whatever. And it's funny because you know, uh, it really is a necessity is the mother of invention because what ended up happening is I came home and I remember thinking this whole thing about these advisors, these agencies bypassing the, the, the operator and going straight to the DMC overseas. Is that going to, is that going to slow down or is that going to speed up? And I said, it's going to speed up. And then, so really the first thing we ever did to change the business from being a middleman yes to a facilitator yes was the creation of what was then called api direct which later became virtuoso onsites which yes. is our global network of our dmcs and what we did is we ended up facilitating that and in fact the first the first ever technological requirement of membership 
to be in this organization was announced in 1987. If you wanted to be a member of API, now Virtuoso, you had to have a fax machine. Can you imagine that we actually had to have that as a requirement? Well, I, I read an article that you'd uh, given and it, it, it was from a number of years ago, but it's it, it talked about your drive and entrepreneurial spirit and you giving a, a deadline with regards to the fax machine, which, which saw then compliance from within three months that people yeah. had gone yeah. not having a fax machine. I think only about 20% of the agencies yeah. to fully comply and, and, and everyone believing in your vision, essentially. Yeah. And then you fast forward to 1997, when the, 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 it, even in, in the late 90s, still, even though the PC and personal computer revolution had started and the internet was just nascent, the reality is, was that most agencies' technology was completely 100% provided by the GDSs. And most of the GDSs like Sabre and Worldspan and Apollo and all this did not allow you to put third-party software on it because of all the problems with support and this and that and the other. But what we did in 1997, which is, you know, literally a decade later, is even though we had boutiques, small businesses, all this, whatever, and some of the most, how would I put it delicately, tenured advisors in the in the in the in 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 the, in the world right in in the united states in the world we actually found this technology called a uh, an instant internet box where we waived our membership fees for 3 years in exchange for members buying this box which automatically gave them so we we actually became the first network to have 100% internet access wow. at every single location before anybody else, including people that were more in corporate and much more technologically advanced business. And in terms of the, there was also in, in, in the article that I read about the fax machine, it was also to do a lot of the time with customer databases and Rolodexes and, and yes. people not really necessarily doing any customer yes. marketing, or if they were, it wasn't wasn't as organized. So, again, could you talk a little about how you how you manage? Absolutely. That? So, so API Direct was and now on sites was kind of that first move. Then what ended up happening is I always I've always have said that one of the reasons I'm sitting here today is that I also had the very good fortune of having sat on different sides of the fence within the industry. And because one of the things that I feel is a core of who I am is I'm, I'm naturally empathetic. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, sometimes I get frustrated like anybody else, but in that frustration, I always kind of land on, but, you know, put myself in the other person's shoes. So as a tour operator, I used to be so frustrated with agencies because it's like, you know, why, why don't they, if they would just get their act together and blah, 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 blah. And then once I became an agency owner, I, I would look, I'd, I'd, I'd look at a, a, an operator and go, okay, you think this is so easy? You try to operate a business on a 3% margin with controlling nothing, right? Right. And you have, et cetera, at the DMCs and all that. So the reality was, is that having been on multiple sides of the fence, once we got together, the original purpose of Allied, if you think about it, was to 
solve problems together that we couldn't solve alone. Mm -hmm. So we started that with API Direct, but the second thing that happened was um, that I think really made our organization, Allied Travel was as famous in its heyday as Virtuoso is today. What, you know, it was a much smaller marketplace. The Allied members were very well known within the luxury sector. The problem was that as a collection of agencies though, they were just a collection of agencies. And so while we had, while the history of the organization had been first and foremost operations, meaning the actual creation and operation of bespoke travel, which by the way, I think is unique to us. No other quote unquote network consortia or whatever has its roots in the actual creation of bespoke travel. Everybody else has their roots. Itinerary quality and the fact that everyone has right. been there and they know, you know, right. what time you should go to the temples, what you, right. it's, it's right. I, I, so, so, our roots, so our roots is there, but, but then what happened was we realized that nobody, you know, when it came down to the quality of the advisors and the quality of the relationships between the advisors and, and, and the, and the clients and stuff, nobody beat these guys. Mm -hmm. But by the late 80s, in 1987, the American Express Platinum Card was born. Mm -hmm. The late 80s was also the, the dawn of the rise of direct marketing. Yes. Direct marketing started to really grow. And so what, what we realized was, I said, what is the next major problem? What is the next major frontier to try to solve? Because these advisors and these agencies from a customer service perspective and quality, nobody beats them. Mm -hmm. But where they're where they're getting where they are 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 where the com the competitive space is now, is in marketing. Mm -hmm. So we're we're not they're not losing business because of the lack of the quality of their services. Yeah. They're losing business because massive, well-funded national, international organizations that have massive marketing funds are able to basically convince people we're the biggest, we're the this, we're the that, and they win the business through marketing. And so even to this day, referrals is still the number one source. Mm -hmm. But the reality was, how do we as an organization deliver results? How do we, how do we get in the game from mm -hmm. a marketing perspective? And also, how do we influence, how do we actually work as one how can we deliver results so that if you're a partner of ours i can look you in the eye and say we will be able to get your product in front of all of our clients otherwise you have to go around one by one so in 1988 we made a uh in 1988 we realized that the next frontier was how do we create a core centralized marketing infrastructure that allows us to be able to produce the kind of high caliber, sophisticated marketing that again, a lot of the agencies didn't have, we didn't, we, we couldn't afford the people, the processes, the technology and all that. So all I did was really move the, the, the ethos of what they had been done for 30 some odd years in operations over to marketing. Mm -hmm. But the thing I love about the story is 
I showed up, you know, there are, there are advantages to being young and naive because you're too stupid or too naive to, to, to be afraid to ask the question. As we grow older, we get more fearful of asking what we think might be a silly question. So what happened is we put together, um, we put together this, 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 this comp of what this magazine, which the original one was called Voyage Magazine, which is now Virtuous Life. But yes. the idea was, the idea was born of, remember, I don't know if, if it ever flew in the US back when there used to be a magazine called Sky Mall. Yeah, absolutely. And, well, Sky Mall, you know, we would get all these brochures from all these operators and all these places and all these hotels. Well, you would go bankrupt if you sent every brochure to every client that, that, that was appropriate. So the idea, the original idea was, well, why don't we create something like Sky Mall? where it's, you know, some of the best product from here and from here and from here and from here. But the, uh, the then, you know, the then head of marketing um, came up with a better idea, which was like, let, let's not just do a catalog, let's do a lifestyle, let's do a magalog that weaves, you know, intelligent content with product placement. Yes. Now we, created, we, created the, the, we created the comp of that idea and I remember going to the, to the members and we, we told them this whole idea, but then here was the kicker. But in order for this to work, I need you to trust me with your mailing list. <laughs> and I had a very good friend of mine who's a cruise line president at the time, who's, who's one of my best friends and, and we've been together all these years. And he, he says, you quit using my name because I look like an idiot because I, <laughs> I went to see him and I told him what the idea was. And he said, he said, Matthew, I think it's a great idea, but it'll never happen. There is no way that these independent agents are going to send you their mailing list with all their customer information. But the rest is history. And we have a member, by the way, who, who's passed away a, a number of years ago, but I remember her so well. Anna Gay Melroy from Salt Lake City, Utah. And I remember we made the presentation and then I made the ask and there was like crickets. It was dead <laughs> silent. The, the, the longest, most awkward silence. And Anna Gay raises her arm and says, you know what? I think this is incredible. And if we don't do it, I think we're making a huge mistake. Sign me up for 2000 copies. If, and if that was the... If you were not yeah. mid twenties, it sounds like she was a plant that you'd uh, I know you'd had, that you'd had a pre meeting with her and then uh, but she wasn't used her as a plant. That that's uh, that's that's an amazing story. And, obviously and you know, it's interesting. Many 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 years later, uh, when when Steve Wynn was building Wynn, right before, yeah. and I went to see him because um, a good friend of our mine is uh, Chris Flat, who is the head of the sales there. So I went to meet him for the first time and it was in the pre, you know, pre-building the building before the wind was built. And when I went to meet him, you know, we, it was supposed to be a meet and greet, but then he goes, no, come into my office, which uh, his conference room, which was really cool. Cause he had a, he had that original photo of the rat pack. Yes. You know, right. And, and so here he is. And, but I'll never forget explaining to him, you know, this is probably what 20 years later, I said, well, Mr. Goes, he said, well, you know, what makes Virtuoso tick? And I said, well, you know, the quality of our advisors and this and that and the other. I said, but one of the things, Mr. Wynn, that, 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 that separates us is 
look, we all know that American Express is this powerhouse mm-hmm. and they have all this data and they have all this perfect data and all this stuff, whatever, and that's great. And, but the, but the other most valuable database of they have all the credit card data, right? Yes. Let me explain what the Virtuoso database is by telling you a story. When we first started acquiring and creating the centralized database, we had an agency in Dallas, a lady who was one of the first female board member of Allied Travel, who did most of our members didn't have quote unquote a mailing list. Mm-hmm. They didn't have a computer. They didn't have a mailing. They didn't do that. So this lady in Dallas who absolutely had some of the most incredible clients in Dallas, you know, the Hunt family, the this, the that, whatever. She said, okay, I'm in, but I only have this information on my Rolodex. So (laughs) she hired an armored car, right? To to, like like delivering money. So she sent her 20 year old Rolodex in a shoebox with rubber bands around it, delivered it to me in Fort Worth. My secretary key punched her Rolodex into the computer, put the Rolodex back, we delivered it back to her. But I love the story because when you think about the Virtuoso database, it's the private Rolodexes of the best travel advisors who have real relationships of trust with these people. Absolutely. Um, and that's how the whole centralized database. So then we created marketing that was all done in the name of the of the member and the, in the individual advisor. And what year did the name then switch from API and Virtuoso actually start in its its own? Yeah. Way? So we had API Direct. Then we had the magazine, right? Well, actually, the magazine actually launched. We we. We made the pitch in 88, the magazine launched in 89. Actually, the other thing that started in 88, though, was what we now call Virtuoso Travel Week. Um, ah, okay. And that, was, and that was in 88. And that was born of the very simple thing that, you know, something that many of our parents have taught us and life has taught us that it's not just what you know, but who you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and the original, you know, what, what we called Travel Mart then was now Virtuoso Travel Week. Um, it was 98 people at the Brazilian court in Palm Beach, and that included staff. Wow. Um, and the reason that wh- where that idea had come from is because my father had been the chairman of USTOA, um, they had had a thing called Marketplace um, where they did uh, some appointments. But then what I did is in the early 80s, I helped. I don't write code. Back then, I wouldn't know what I was called. Today, I would be called a, uh, a product manager, right? So yeah. somebody... So I didn't realize I was a product manager there, but we actually helped develop a software system to do appointment matching in 1982. Wow. And from doing that for USTOA, I thought, wow, this is a great opportunity here. And so that's when Virtuoso, uh, that's when Virtuoso Travel Week was born in 88. So then I would basically characterize, so you have API Direct, you have the marketing, you have Virtuoso, what's now Virtuoso Travel Week, Travel Mart at the time, and then our, our preferred supplier portfolio. Yes. I would then characterize the, re, the, the rest of the 90s as our direct marketing era and the growth of the network. 
because with those major, with those key elements, we were able to grow the network through the preferred partner program, the marketing, and the and the uh, the uh, uh, the networking. By the late '90s, though, Expedia was born in 1997, along with Travelocity. Um, the airlines cut commissions in '97 for the first time, mm -hmm. um, and you could sort of see. And so, what happened is, in the late '90s, after having spent this whole decade really growing the Virtuoso Network, starting to grow outside the U.S., we 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 went to Latin America in '97 as well. Mm -hmm. um, and started growing outside of the U.S. Um, and the, the birth of the Virtuoso brand was in the late 90s, we realized that the baby boomer, the first baby boomer didn't turn 60 until 2006. Mm -hmm. uh, and so we knew there was this, that we knew there was gonna be this big growth of affluent travelers. Yes the baby boomer had already changed every other industry and a very good friend of mine is a, a gentleman by the name of dr ken dykewald who has a company called age wave in san francisco mm -hmm. and at the at the 1997 virtuoso travel week his company was our keynote speaker about a guy by the name of mark goldstein that worked for him and that presentation was what literally like ignited my mind and like wow there's this opportunity yeah. and how the baby boomer was going to change the problem was the size of the market, but also the problem was is that the online revolution had started and the reputation of travel agents by the time the late 90s came and the, the advent of the online revolution was that we were a bunch of dinosaurs and we were all gonna get wiped off the face of the earth and because the, the airlines were trying to get rid of us by, committing, by cutting our commissions the, on, the Expedia, uh, Bill Gates was famously quoted as saying, welcome Expedia, you can now throw away your travel agent's phone number. Yeah. All this stuff was happening. But I remember thinking to myself, you know, this doesn't make sense. Yes, there's going to be a lot of commodity transactional stuff, mm -hmm. just like what happened with stockbrokers. I always want, I always use the analogy, the, the metaphor of, if you want to see what the evolution of travel agents was, just put stockbroker and travel agent next to each other. Mm -hmm. And the only difference between those two professions is that stockbrokers were about 20 years ahead of us. And why were they 20 years ahead of us? Because the peak savings years of the baby boomers starts 20 years before their peak spending years. Yes, absolutely. Right? And so, so the online revolution in financial services came about 20, 15 to 20 years ahead of the, of, of the travel advisor. Charles so for me, and the like, the online smaller commission go in day trade and. Right. But the, but, but, but also what ended up happening was I, I realized, I said, well, wait a minute. Yes. There's going to be a tremendous amount of travel uh, that's, that's going to go online. It's the commodity stuff. Um, the reality is that, and this is some very often forgotten, one of the reasons that travel the, the, the number of travel agents grew so exponentially from 1977 to 1997 is because 
1977, something was born called Saber. Mm -hmm. And up until then, you could only do it on the phone. Yes. When Saber was born, Max Hopper, who was the original CEO and, and founder of Saber, along with Bob Crandall at American Airlines, when the GDS was, when Saber was first born, which was a project with IBM, they thought to themselves, do we hire a bunch more res agents? No, why don't we put these units and give them the travel agents? And if you think about it, it was a stealth outsourcing of labor to an independent contractor, no, no, no health insurance, no pension plans, no unions, no, no, whatever. It was an outsourcing of labor to travel agents where they could pay them whatever they wanted to pay them, you know. And so travel agents had an artificial monopoly on the information inside the GDS for 20 years. Yes. When the online revolution came along with Easy Saber and Expedia and Travelocity, and now the travel, the traveler had access to that very same information. Now that was the net. What could possibly be cheaper than travel agent labor? Mm -hmm. Getting the customer to do it themselves. Yes. And so, so, so by the end of the '90s, as we saw this coming, I realized the biggest problem that we had at that point was not the quality of our advisors and all that. It was the fact that the common wisdom, conventional wisdom was that travel agents were all the same. Mm -hmm. And so that's when we decided we, we can't afford, we're, we're, we can't afford to market, the, we, we can't afford to just have a push strategy, mm -hmm. which is what we've been doing throughout the 90s. We needed to have a, a pull strategy. Mm -hmm. And then that's when we basically sat around and said, we need to build a brand. We need to build a global brand that attracts the type of customers and that helps us separate from what was traditionally viewed as a travel agent. Mm -hmm. And we need to build a brand. And that's why I love the word virtuoso because we intentionally wanted to choose a word that didn't say travel, but that had kind of a quality, artistic, interesting name, right? That made you stop and think. Um, so we basically announced the name Virtuoso, the rebranding of the organization in January of, 20, of 2000 in Vienna. And we were going to celebrate the 20th anniversary of the birth of the brand this March in Vienna until we had to cancel. Hopefully we'll be able to do it next year to go back to, to, to Vienna. We're planning on that now. But, um, but I have to tell you, it's, you know, I, I've always loved the fact is that success in business and in life is a lot of hard work and dedication, but there's also sometimes just blind, blind luck. Yeah. The fact that we could trademark Virtuoso, the fact that I could get the URL, the mm -hmm. fact that we could do all these things. But the one thing I didn't fully realize at the time that we launched the name was what a great name it really was from a global perspective. Yes. Because there is no translation for Virtuoso. So if you're speaking Mandarin, there's no translation. If you're speaking Russian, German, Spanish, there is no translation. Virtuoso is virtuoso. Yes. What a beautifully perfect global name. And and you also, as well as the, the beautiful name of Virtuoso, 
the the positioning that you took and some of the the trademark strap lines that you incorporated. Yeah. They were special they were, think, art of travel. Yeah, and return on life. I remember watching a presentation yeah. where you it really resonated right. because from my own personal experiences where you work in the industry and you think that you know everything and are able to book travel. I came to 2012 Travel Mart and took a vacation the week before. So again, by the, the time you get the first appointments, all the rest yeah. of the effect and the fact that you had a vacation the week before is is out of the window. But if you use a professional and an agent, the yeah. first thing they'd, they'd do when planning is go, well, that would be a crazy thing to do. Why don't we plan the vacation after Travel Mart and then you'll be nice and relaxed and and, and all the re reinvigorating right. factors will be incorporated. But, but with regards to the itineraries, the super agents, the knowledge, the, the travel and the advice they bring, the positioning, the strap lines and everything that you set up completely take away that lowest price. Because if you're an American and you only have two weeks vacation a year, and then you get that decision wrong. It's going to be 365 days that you have to wait to go again. And uh, it's, it's very do that and it's very yourself online. It's uh, it's it's a huge mistake that you make, and it, you're losing out on that return on life, right. as you say. Right. And it's very interesting you say that, Gareth, because when we first started, like for example, when we decided to start coming to Europe and the UK and Asia. For the longest time, there was a very long period of time there where a lot of my a lot of my best friends that were hoteliers around the world, whatever, oh, don't bother coming to Europe, don't bother coming to the UK, it's completely different and all that. But things started to change. And what's very interesting is where people go, the types of products, you know, some of the some of those things they do around travel change depending on the source market. But what I felt we could prove and we are proving is if you level up and go towards the fact that the virtuous of client around the world is a global citizen and they may have different tastes, they may have different uh, you know, propensities to do different, go to different destinations, do different things, whatever. But what we've been starting to do is really focusing on what is the real job of an advisor. I tell advisors all the time, if you tell people that you book travel, you've already lost before you've even started. Because mm -hmm. there are there are hundreds of ways of booking travel. Mm -hmm. Your job is actually everything that happens around it. What do you do? How do you collaborate with the client? How do you do that? Return on life is a perfect example of a positioning. It's back to this analogy of a stockbroker. Like I can go online and buy, and you know, I can, I can buy stocks and bonds and stuff and pay hardly anything, right? Why do people still go to a wealth advisor? Look, I'm a typical baby boomer. I still, to this day, I love my wealth advisor. He's become a dear friend. He sits on my board and all that. And I still argue with him who's the better stock picker, <laughs> right? I still yeah. argue with him and he's a freaking genius. But I tell you what I don't argue with. The totality of the way his firm interacts with me, my wife, my family, the whole nine yards, the way they make me feel, the way, the, the way we process things, the totality of the relationship is so far and above and beyond because he provides a structure that helps me think. So for example, today, one of the things we talk about with clients, people today 
aren't worried about getting answers. We live in a world where answers are a dime a dozen. Mm -hmm. what, what stresses people out today is the question they didn't ask. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so the whole collaboration with an advisor today what happens before, you know, we call it the collaborative travel trend, the, the collaborative travel planning process. How do we add value prior to that? How do we, how do we collaborate? And it, you know, the old idea of a, the old idea of an expert and a client was you go to an expert because you don't know that much and they're the expert and all that modern luxury. We are dealing with the best educated, best traveled, most technologically savvy consumers in the history of the planet. We may have certain expertise, but a certain sense of vulnerability and authenticity, you know and I know that I can't know everything, but what I can do is be a great collaborator. Mm -hmm. So you don't, you're not afraid of the, you're, you're not afraid of your client seeing something on the internet. You're not afraid of the client having a, being at a cocktail party and having their best uh, a friend tell them, I just went there. Because what you do is you collaborate with a client mm -hmm. and you have, and what you do during the trip and after the trip. And and you talked about 97 being the, the start of the internet revolution. And, and obviously this led to a number of initiatives, including the branding and the strap line. And you talk about some, some things sometimes being lucky or fortuitous, but in 2000, Condé Nast Traveler started a power list. And, and that again is part of the whole, um, leveling up of agencies, the yeah. rebranding as luxury travel advisors rather than just travel agents. 90% of the population of the power list were virtuoso right. agents. So that must have made you feel immensely that, proud. Right, and the reason for that is because in the mid nineties, we ended up hiring uh, a young man who by the way is now a virtuoso agency owner. Mm -hmm. um, and he was the youngest PR and marketing executive for Carolyn Hunt at Rosewood. Okay. Uh, and, then I, and then he came to join us and he took over our PR. And what he did with PR was brilliant. And by the way, he's the one that actually came up with the name Virtuoso. His name is Keith Walden. Okay. Um, and he was the one that said, we're gonna treat the press like a virtuoso advisor treats a client. Mm -hmm. There's not going to be any mass mailings. They're going to be handwritten notes. Mm -hmm. But the most powerful idea that we had is we went out to the press and said, we're here as a resource. Mm -hmm. If you're Jane Levere of the New York Times and you're who we knew real well, and she's writing an article on the Amalfi Coast, hey, Jane, she could pick up the phone and call Keith and say, I'm writing a story on the Amalfi Coast. I need somebody that has sold family travel there, somebody that's done honeymoons, somebody that's done this, blah, blah, blah. And we would say, give me a couple hours and I will give you three experts that'll blow your mind. So one of our successes with the press was we became this central place that you could come to where we would be able to actually connect the writers and the press to exactly, I remember, for example, when the Concord had its its tragedy, we, we got a call from the Wall Street Journal. We wanted to talk to somebody who's chartered the Concord, somebody who's done it for leisure, somebody who did it for business, you know, and we were able to do things like that. And it was those efforts that kind of led to the uncovering. And in the late 90s, 
when nobody believed that, when everybody thought that all travel agents were the lowest common denominator, we realized that so many of our members were amazing specialists. So what we started to do is we started to pivot and we started to promote our advisors, not as travel agents, but as specialists. Yes. And that's how the Condé Nast list, the travel and leisure list, that's how we dominated those, those lists in the early days because we were the organization that proactively really got out there and really worked, um, uh, you know, worked, worked, worked putting the spotlight on the amazing knowledge of these professionals. Well, and, and the destination knowledge is, is really exceptional. I, as, you, as you know, I worked for Diana Banks in Cambodia with Raffles and Raffles isn't, sorry, Cambodia isn't like a London, Dubai, Singapore. It's, it's a right. bit off the beaten track, but in, in the time I was there, you know, we'd, we'd have so many super agents from Virtuoso that would come through uh, non Penn and CM Reap, the likes of Catherine Held and yeah. Bob, Bob Watson came to non Penn. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Stacy Small, Michael Holtz, but it's just extraordinary that the the, the quality of destination information that, that they would know restaurants and they would know bars and attractions that even as someone that yeah. resided in that city that you but hadn't you know what's checked out. But you know what's but you know what's interesting about this? Um, in different markets, our advisors compete with different strengths of the and nuances of those markets. So let's take the UK. This, this, is a, this was an idea that I helped develop thanks to the competitive pressures in the UK. In the US, the US, the FIT advisors in the, in the FIT specialists in, in the US really don't compete, uh, don't have the kind of competitors. The number one competitor for us here is DIY, mm -hmm. is go do it yourself, right? In the UK, however, the UK has a legacy of some really, really powerful, very small, but very focused specialty operators. Yes. And because the UK is a smaller market where you can economically go direct to consumer, the UK has some very, very good small oper specialty operators that only do the Maldives or only do uh, Indian subcontinent or only do certain parts of the world. So the question becomes, how, do you, how, does an, how does a UK virtuoso advisor who is seen as a generalist because they quote unquote book everything, how do we make sure that they don't look like a high street agent who basically is just trying to read a brochure faster mm -hmm. upside down than the client? So when I was in London a few years ago, I was on CNBC on Squawk Box and um, I got to pitch this idea and I said, you know, you would think that a virtuoso advisor that books the whole world is a generalist mm -hmm. and they may have a couple of special specialties, but actually they're a specialist. And, the, and the, 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 the reporter said, well, how can that be if they're booking everywhere? I said, because a good virtuoso advisor is also a specialist in the client. Yes. Their job is to know the client so well. Every trip they get better. And the British press being the British press go, well, that's cute. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's cute. But how can they, how can they compete with this company? And the guy that was sitting next to me on that, that day on, on CNBC was the, the, the European chairman of BlackRock. 
Okay. And when the camera went off, I explained that he goes, look, I just booked my holiday with my family to go to India. I'm using this company here in London that's been doing India for a hundred years and blah, blah, blah. There's no way that your, your virtual advisor could have competed. And I said, of course they could because this is where the virtuoso network comes in. A good virtuoso advisor may have certain areas of expertise and within agencies they share, but it's the virtuoso network that provides, you don't pretend to know everything. If I'm talking to you, Gareth, and, I, and, you, and we're talking about Bhutan, and I sort of get to a point where I don't know what I'm talking about, more and more virtuoso advisors said, but I have this person on the ground in Bhutan Let's do a three-way Zoom call. Yeah. And so the beauty of our, our value proposition today is that when you use a virtuous advisor, you actually have the best of both worlds. You have somebody that knows you and your family, what, whatever, and you also have the power of the virtuoso network because we have you know six different companies in India, somebody that specializes in adventure and, 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 and sports travel, somebody that does this, somebody that does that, that's how it works. And, and also from a supplier side that the rigor with regards to becoming a preferred partner with Virtuoso means that any of these Indian palaces or resorts, they, they would only be a Virtuoso preferred partner if, if you've seen them, inspected them, that they're the very, very highest standard possible. Yeah. So all the quality- well, And the way, and, the way, and, and you, you know, I, I, I've been asked for years, do you have mystery shoppers? And I always love that question because I, I have to laugh every single time I said, we don't need mystery shoppers. Mm -hmm. It's called our clients. <laughs> they call their advisor in about a nanosecond when they're not happy. Yes. And the way, the way we maintain, and by the way, virtual self-management does not drive the selection and expulsion of our partners. It's our members who drive that. Every single category of product and virtuoso is driven by an elected committee of members, right? That the membership elects and they, they are the ones that are responsible. And as we've become more and more uh, niche, we're even having things like the people that are in our wellness community, help us with our wellness products. The people that are in our adventure community, help us with that. So it's really like crowdsourcing, right? It's Thank you for listening. Be sure to join us for part two where Matthew talks about Travel Mart, international expansion, and Virgin Galactic and the accredited Space Agent Program. Thank you very much.